Amen. I am amped up today. What about y'all? Man, nearly believable. Nearly. <laughs> we are going to be in the book of Matthew in just a little bit, but I, I want to, uh, to pave the way just a skosh before we get there. Um, this is a new series, and it is called Be Somebody. Be Somebody. Everybody say, Be Somebody. Be somebody. Now, why didn't y'all respond like that a minute ago? It's called Be Somebody, and, and this has really kind of been birthed in me and through the rest of the leadership, the ministry uh, team, but then also the leadership team of the church. We really felt compelled, and really we felt kind of convicted that for a while, at least for the time that, that I've been your pastor, and it's a joy to be your pastor, that we have not actually had some intentionality on where we're going as a church. We've kind of gathered together over the last year and a half that I've been here. We've had some great worship experiences since I've been here. We ha- we've had some great small groups since I've been here. We've had some great activities since we've been here. The children's ministry has, has thrived, and it's more thriving now. They're having a worship service of their own as we speak, and we praise the Lord for that. The Arise Student Ministry, over this amount of time that the Lord has brought us the Green Family. Give, it, give a round of applause for the Green Family and their ministry. God is doing something, but yet we felt that there was just something missing. Because the most important thing that we can do as a church, A, obviously, is exalt Jesus Christ in our life. What we do corporately and what we do personally. But we thought to ourselves, how could we possibly do this in a way that brings people closer to God, and yet it corresponds with their everyday life? So what we had, kind of this, this vision, kind of birthed in me and through the rest of the teams, and we kind of want to kick it off with this series. Is that okay with you this morning, that we do this? So you're going to hear four different things over the course of probably six or eight weeks um, in these messages. There's something I want to show you. Thank you, Dustin. That was right on the money. Um, you see that this... This is a continual loop that you see on the screen. Everybody look, and which one is in orange? Everybody say it. Belong. All right. Everybody, as, as a church, you feel like you belong here or else you wouldn't be here, but yet we want to kind of break this down starting today. But what I have to do today, before we actually get into the rest of this and know about belonging is, we have to, I want to, in just a moment, kind of strip away maybe a mindset that has sunk over our church and maybe the rest of the churches that you've been a part of in the past. But each and every one of us needs a place to belong, don't we? Don't we, church? We need a place to belong. We need a place that we can come into where we feel like, man, I fit. Yes, I'm messed up. Yes, I've got baggage. Yes, I have so much baggage that I had to leave some in my car because I only took three trips and I got wore out. I didn't want to bring all my baggage into the, into the house of the Lord this morning. We all need a place of belonging, don't we? But yet, if you look at this, and this, I'm just going to map this out for you very briefly. It says, belong, become, beyond, begin. Now, you see that this is, this is connecting. And over the next several weeks, what I hope that you would see is that the church was never supposed to be institutionalized. It was supposed to be a movement based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That's what it was all about. That's what it's all about. It's a movement. It's not an institution. It's not supposed to be a building. Although what we'll see in, in just a couple of moments, that kind of mindset has crept into our churches, that the church is a building, an institution, rather than a movement. A movement of people bent on the resurrection. But you see, people need a place of belonging. Going to the bottom left, they need a place to become. Well, what is it we're supposed to become? I'll be mapping this out in the next couple of weeks. Becoming like Christ. That's a very complicated thing. I get that. And we could talk from here until the Lord returns of, of unpacking the rest of this. But for the sake of time and my lungs and your ears... We're not going to. It's going to be a few weeks that we talk about becoming. But belong. We want a place to belong. We want to create environments where others feel like they belong. But then also, we want to know what we should become. We need to become more like Christ every day. This is the reason why we gather. We, we gather together to be encouraged, to be equipped. Sometimes, truthfully, to... to to try and eradicate some of the sin in our life. And as Christ points those things out, that we should remove those things from our life that hinder us. As we become more like Christ, we become a little bit less like our sinful selves. But then also progressing around in the bottom right, you see belong, become, beyond. This is thinking beyond ourselves. This is the idea of service as a church. This is you. I'm going to challenge you over the next several weeks. What is it, who is it and what ministry are you pouring into? Are you just pouring into yourself? Or are you pouring into something that's going to matter? I want you to, to pour into the movement of God in this place, but then also the movement of God in other places here in our community around the world. Thinking beyond ourselves, serving others. So belonging, becoming, going, thinking beyond, going beyond ourselves. And then the thing that, that, that I'm really excited about is the last one. Is the idea of beginning. Because many of us, we've been walking with Christ for years. And, and if we're, play, I mean, if we're just to really strip it all away and we're just to talk and just be friends, we would say that we're probably stuck on one of these things that we're probably stuck. And yet, I believe in what, what the Lord has impressed upon me and the rest of the leadership, it, it, just steering this church, is we need to think about beginning and mentoring other people, bringing other people into the mix. That way, if we, we belong, and that's wonderful, that's great, you feel like you belong, praise the Lord, I'm glad you're here, you're welcome here. But yet, we want to become like Christ, we want to think beyond ourselves, and then we want to begin again. And that means pouring in to other people. And then guess what? You start the process all over again. So it's actually not about us at all. It's about this movement, about this, this great story that we read about and we study about and we try and live out from Scripture that is so compelling in our hearts that we have to do something with it. Y'all got that so far? Good. I went a little longer than it was supposed to, but you're okay. Nobody's left, so we're good. So we're starting this morning with this idea of belonging, to belong. I want to uh, just, I guess to, to prick your memory just for a minute. What, what comes to mind when you think about your experiences with church or with churches? Many of you, you probably think maybe about fried chicken, right? Right? <laughs> I can tell by your laughter that that is true. You, maybe maybe you, you've, you think about fried chicken. Maybe you think about the time that you've spent with loved ones. Maybe you've thought about that those things bring to mind sitting in pews. Um, 
in, in those kinds of things, sitting with your family, everybody gathered together. Maybe for you, you think about, and we don't have one at this church, I don't know, maybe those the little counter that's on, that would be on your right-hand side, the way that you measure it, right? You know what I'm talking about? That way all the measurement, that's where everything happens on the right side of the stage, and you measure how much money and how many people and all those things, and it becomes really about that little chart, doesn't it? Maybe that's what comes to mind. Maybe for you, maybe you think about a movement of God that you were a part of in the past. And you, you were part of a local church that was, was so compelling. Maybe it's this church that you think to yourself, wow, I was a part of a church or I'm a part of a church that is so much bigger than me and it is awesome. I don't know where we're going half the time, but I just praise the Lord that I'm on the ride. Anybody, anybody there this morning? Just praise the Lord that we're on the ride together. Maybe that's what it is for you. When I think about my first experiences with church, um, I, and I've shared this in the past, I've had all kinds of different experiences, but my earliest experiences in church, I remember a few things. I remember the smell of incense, it, probably because of the type of church that I was in, the smell of incense, and I thought, man, that smells really good. I have no idea why it smells like that, but I like the smell of incense. And then I remember that when I was... When I was uh, young and some of the earliest churches, church experiences I've had, I remember that this specific um, religious group that, that I was a part of, that we would have to walk down the aisle, we'd have to like kneel down a little bit and make this turn into the pew. I remember so many times after I would kneel down and get up and I would shank my knee on the end of the pew. I remember that to this day. I do. And, and I remember so many times and I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then, I, and then I would have to shuffle down like this because I did not want to shank my knee on the thing where they, they hold all the, the, the stuff you have to sink from and all of that. But those are some of the, the memories that I have. But you know what? One of the, the worst memories I have from my, my earliest experiences with church, it was cold. And I'm not talking about the climate. I'm talking about the people. They were cold. And I felt... I felt is I would sit down, I would think, I would feel like a fish out of water and think, why in the world are we doing this? Because it seems so irrelevant to me. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't about the individual, the, the, my experience with church, it wasn't about the individual. It was, it was kind of more about this institution. It was kind of about this institution. And I think maybe, possibly, that may have affected some of us as well, this idea that church is, is more an institution than a movement. It's less about people and more about a building. It's more about a location, more about than what we're doing. If you have opened your Bible this morning to Matthew 16, Now, I'm going to give you a lot of information up front, okay? I'm just letting you know this. This is, is going to be kind of like a, almost like a history lesson at first. So if you don't like history, just if you fall asleep, the, the person next to you has permission just to lay you out with an elbow. I'm just saying. It's a true story. Can't let that happen. But at the end is where the application for the message comes. So don't, don't check out too early on this. Matthew 16, 18 says this, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Everybody say, my church. And the gates of Hades, or another interpretation is the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Jesus says words, and he says, I tell you, 
Peter. He says, you, you are Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock, which is a play on his name because Peter actually means rock, he says, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. So Peter is someone, and, and just to give you a little background if you don't know this, Peter is a messed up dude. He's somebody who had a pretty lucrative fishing business going on. He was happy doing his own thing. He would be someone who is, is very much put his nose to the grindstone and go. And Jesus decides that he wants to challenge Peter and he invests deeply into Peter because what Jesus is talking, he's mentioning here, is this great movement that is about to start, but it really hasn't even started yet. As a matter of fact, at this point in the text, they are so confused on what all the things that are going on, but all they do know is, is he's talking to Peter and he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. Well, the word church is ecclesia, which means assembly or congregation. Ecclesia. It's, it's about people. It's about a congregation. It's an about assembly of believers. And he says, upon you, Peter, the person who seemed like they had the least amount of potential not too long ago, says, I'm going to do a great work in you. We have any of those people in here who, are, who have the least amount of potential, earthly speaking, but yet the Lord is doing some amazing things in your life? Maybe you know people that you're around and you say, you know what, they are just common folk as far as the world's standards go, but they are just amazing people in the eyes of the Lord. Anybody know someone like that this morning? It's encouraging. Just gather around those type of people, people who are on fire for the Lord. That's what you should do. Well, something has happened over the course of several years. You see, when all of this, when, when, excuse me, when, when Jesus was speaking these words, there were no pastors, there was no church, there were no buildings of which to base Christianity. Christianity didn't even exist at this point. They had no lights, they had no you know, weird shirts, they had nothing like that. I mean, it was just very much a mist for most of these people. And yet Jesus was prophesying into Peter and he says, you know what, I'm going to do an awesome thing through you. Now this would be the same person who would deny Christ, and we know this. This is the same person who, was, who, who may have, if Jesus would have given up on somebody, it would have been him. But praise the Lord, Jesus doesn't give up on you. He doesn't care about your past. Actually, he wants to redeem your past. If you've messed up in, in your past, and yet you sit back and you think, you know what, well, pastor, I get this, and you're talking about this whole strategy plan thing. You're talking about becoming more like Christ. Well, I'm, I'm damaged goods here. I'm, I've got nothing to offer because I'm so, I've got so much baggage in the back of my life you don't even know about. And if you knew about it, you surely wouldn't be saying this to you. I want you to know I don't know of your baggage, and that's okay, but the Lord does. And if the Lord would not give up on someone like Peter, he certainly wouldn't give up on you. This idea of, of, a, of the church, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This idea of church was tainted over several years. As different translations, of the, the original translations of the Bible was actually put in the religious group at that time was the Catholic Church. And they transcribed the Bible into Latin. Part of the transition and in translating into Latin, they changed that word to mean something. And I think that word has impacted each and every one of us, maybe either directly or indirectly. And it says, I will build my church. 
The original text says ecclesia. It's an assembly. It's a, it's a congregation. It's about people. But yet there's this word that kind of permeated the early translations uh, that was, was pushed out with the Catholic Church, and it was this word kirch, K-I-R-C-H. And it was pushed, it, it has a, a German derivative, and it was this word, and that word specifically means a building or a place of worship. Do you see the confusion here? Do you see the confusion? So now, now when this, this message is being passed down generation to generation to generation, it's not necessarily about the people and a movement of God. It's about a place. It's about, hey, come into this place. It isn't about people anymore. It isn't about a congregation anymore. It isn't about a movement anymore. Now it's about an institution. Please come into our institution. Do you have any pleasant thoughts when you think of the word institution? Right? I mean, do we? Who wants to be a part of an institution? I don't because I, I'm actually hurt by the word institution because that's the place that Marla says that she's going to send me. But it's a mental, it's a mental institution. I, I don't believe her, and when she gets close to me, I run just in case. That's what I do. Now, some other things in our context, when you think of the words institution, Congress. Congress is very much an institution. I know they get a lot of things done, right? Right? But... When I think of Congress, it's, it's more of an institution. When I think of an institution, I think it's rigid. It's rigid. We do things a certain way. We say certain things. We do certain things. And if you're not going to basically let us do those certain things, we're just so beyond you because it's an institution. I think of the financial sector of our country, and it's a great and wonderful country that we live in. I brag on our country, and I think we should. It's the best, it's the best country in the world. We live at the best time and age of human existence. I believe it in the depths of my heart. But I think about the financial sector of our world, right? It's pretty rigid, isn't it? Ask Martha Stewart. Ask Martha Stewart if it's pretty rigid. They want you to buy and sell and only do certain things at certain times. And if you don't, you get in trouble. I think about my, my, no, my, my college for my undergrad was a, a little different experience. Um, I was a non-traditional student, which was awesome because that means that I didn't have to actually live like a freshman, right? Now, if you've ever been a freshman in a college or university where you had to live on campus, you will, you will be able to confirm that it is a rigid thing, right? Where do most freshmen, even in the, the colleges that, that I've been a part of, the freshmen don't even get to really park on campus. They basically have to park off campus and either walk in or just ride a bike, Right? Anybody else have that experience in colleges? My, my college experience is that's the way it was. The freshman parking, they realize really quick, this is an institution, buddy, and if you don't like it, you can leave. Amen to that. I need all the help I can get. But it's very rigid. An institution is rigid. A movement implies what? Growth. Or this rapid advance. And what I want you to see this morning, if we could go to Acts 1.8. We're going to be in a lot of scripture today. Hopefully you like that. If not, we're still going to do it. Acts 1.8, we're going to read through this, this very quickly. And... Uh, just so you know that the book of Acts is really a, a history book. If, if it's been a little while since you've actually read the scriptures, in 
the time that we're going to be talking about this, just the new strategy, new plan, and this movement that I think God wants to implant in this place for our community and for the world and the areas that we invest. I want you to, if, if you have not gone through the scriptures in a while, go through the book of Acts because really it, historically speaking, it tells the, the whole advance and the movement of the gospel and how it's just exploded. I'm going to unpack some of that today, but I want to uh, implore you to dig into that yourself. Now this, Acts 1-8, this is after the resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus has, has shown his face to people. He's shown his face to several people. And he gives these words right before he ascends. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They still didn't understand all of what Jesus was saying, but what he was saying is, there's going to be a movement that is starting with you. There's going to be a movement that starts with you. There's going to be something powerful that, that starts with you. It's not about an institution. It's not about an institution. We've been scarred by the idea that it, that it is an institution, that the church is a building, it's a place, but it's not. It's people. It's God's people doing God's work in an ungodly world. It's a movement this morning. Everybody say movement. It means you're doing something. And Jesus, He speaks these words, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who bear witness about the resurrection. You will be the ones who will bear witness about the great and mighty and wonderful things that, that Jesus did while He was on the earth. He says, you will bear my witnesses, not only in your town, but I want you to go in the surrounding towns. I want you to go into your state. I want you to go into your country. I want you to tell the world about this great thing that happened, and it's called the resurrection of Jesus. And as this movement continues, and it continues, we see that at this point in the Scriptures, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has been pushed aside. There's 11, 11, maybe, maybe they added the other, the other one, so 11 or 12, and you see this movement. If you could flip very, very quickly, go over one page to Acts 1.15. Look in the parentheses. Specifically, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. He's getting ready to, to deliver this message. And he's addressing these people in the group numbering about 120. At this point, the movement that started with really Jesus, the inner three, the 11, the 12, now then 11, and now 12, is now to 120. This movement is, is rapidly advancing. This movement is charging forward. People are, are getting it. They're starting to realize that these things really happened. This isn't just conjecture. This isn't just something that, wow, this is just a great story. Jesus, this really happened. His resurrection really happened. All the basis of their faith was coming true. Everything that Jesus had, had prophesied was coming true. The Old Testament prophecy was coming true and now they were starting to be able to see that the movement that had been predicted in the old testament and in the gospels that jesus spoke of was finally about to explode and it went to 120 120 but it doesn't stop there 
Same page, Acts 2, 1 through 4. This, I would say before we read this scripture, this is the second biggest thing that has ever happened in the life of the church. And it's the day of Pentecost. It's the second biggest thing that's ever happened in the life of the church. The first one would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. An amazing thing that has happened that, that was prophesied about in the book of Joel, but this thing that they had anticipated, that Jesus had said, you will receive power. This is the power that Jesus prophesied about, the day of Pentecost. And he says, they were all together in one place, about 120. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house they were, in, that they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This is a supernatural movement of God. This is a one-time event that has happened. This is not something that you see in the rest of Scripture. This is a, this is a big deal, the second biggest thing that's happened in the life of the church. is the Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit poured out, was poured out on other people. Now you see in, in this, this scripture, specifically, a lot of times there's really some confusion about the filling of the Holy Spirit and, and all of those types of things. There are other type of, of religious groups who say this means one thing, but I want to I break this down for you really simple. This is a different of speaking in tongues. This, this verbiage is different than what's used in Corinthians and in Romans. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 mentions this. Romans 12 mentions this speaking in tongues. This is different, and I want to tell you why. Because this very word, tongues, is derived from the Greek... Dialectikoi. What does that sound like? Dialectikoi. I just said that wrong, but that's fine. We're moving on. Dialects. So when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't a matter of trying to get everybody to go through in a filling of the Holy Spirit so that they would exalt themselves and say, wow, I've got this wonderful gift. I love having this gift. It's all about me. It's all about the institution. It's all about all these things. It was about this rapid advance and a movement of the gospel and the way that God had instrumented this on the day of Pentecost is that as the Holy Spirit was poured out among those 120 and they were able to speak in different languages and dialects because the thing that was most important in this, in this section of the early church history was getting the message out. It was a matter of getting the message out and the spreading of this movement and message of Jesus Christ. Let's see another part of that movement. Same chapter, verse 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, what's the next word? Daily, those who were being what? It was a movement. It was a movement that started out with Jesus in his inner three and then went to 12 then went down to 11, then went back to 12, then went to 120. It's this movement that is rapidly advancing among the early church. This message is so compelling to them that it wasn't about some rigid institution, it wasn't about a place, but it was about a people, it was about a movement, it was about change, it was about doing something. It was about spreading this great message of Jesus. It's about spreading that message. In verse 47, And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And it all started around this word, ecclesia, that we read about in Matthew 16, 18, just a minute ago. This movement, this assembly. Jesus had prophesied to Peter. Peter would be the least likely candidate. And he says, you know what? There's going to be an amazing thing that's happening. You're, you're going to be on the, on the ground level of this thing. I just want you to know. You're going to be on the ground level of this movement, this advancement. I want you to be a big part of it. I know you don't think you're able. I know that there's so many inadequacies you have in your life, but I want to fill all of those voids because it isn't about you anymore and it's not about me anymore. So now it's about this rapid advance and this message, this hope that comes because of this great event that happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message was, was advancing and advancing and advancing. And when I look at verse 42 through 47, they devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Do you know why they did that? Because they knew that they belonged. They knew that they belonged. They knew that the message wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. And any time the message starts to be about us, about a building, about a place, about anything other than Jesus, then we need to steer back on course and get back to the basics, back to Jesus. That's what the movement is about. That's what the movement of this church is about. That's what the foundation of this church was about. And that's what it needs to continue to be. In your life this morning, how do you view church? Is this, this idea of church a place you come to, or is it a movement that you are a part of? Is it? When you think of the word church, what do you think of? From this day forward, I want, you, I, I want to challenge you to think beyond yourself. Because anytime there's a movement, you have to change. You have to go forward. You have to, to be forward thinking. You have to be thinking, okay, culturally I'm here. Culturally they're there. What can we do to build bridges into that culture re to redeem some? Because the church is about a movement. Everybody say movement. The church is a hospital for sinners and at times it's a tool shed for the saved. Think about that. 
The church has always been a hospital for sinners. Peter was, was a sinner to the T. We see this other, this other church leader, and if you read into the book of Acts, and his ministry, we're going to see a part of it here in just a moment, this guy by the name of Paul. They were the least likely candidates to be used, but yet God chooses to use the least of these to do the greatest of work. Amen. Because the church is a hospital for sinners. It's about redeeming people. It's about redeeming pasts. It's about redeeming families. It's about redeeming cultures. It's about redeeming your brokenness. It's about redeeming everything in you that hinders the work that God wants to do in you. And yet for those of us, this is a hard pill to swallow, I'll be honest with you. We would most likely agree and we'd say it's a hospital for sinners. I get it. It's true. But the last part of this is the part that's a little bit harder to chew. That even the church is a tool shed for the saved. By tool shed, you, it could mean several different things. Tool shed is, I go there to get equipped. That's true. You come here to get equipped. But you don't, get, you don't come into this place to get equipped to go out and just live for you. You don't just get equipped to, well, this is awesome. I need to get my finances in order, so I need to do this. It isn't so you can have good behavior. When you come into the tool shed, it is to be equipped, but it's to be equipped to spread that movement and that message to other people. And sometimes the tool shed for us means it's a place of scolding. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we need scolded. Sometimes we need somebody to speak into our life, and we need a church, a church, the people of God, surround ourselves with holy, sanctifying people of God who will look at us and say, you need to redirect your life because you're not going in the right direction. Sometimes it's a tool shed. Sometimes we have to go to the tool shed to get some scolding. That's not favorable. We don't like that. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks, the idea of discipline. We don't like discipline, but it's necessary. Our desire, and I, my hope is in that your desire for this church would be that anyone would feel like they belong. Anyone. Now, if, if this is a place that anyone would feel like they belong, there's certain things that we have to do. Not just, not just the, the, the people paid to do it, not just the, the, the ministry team who gets paid to come in here and to, to do all of this, not even that. It takes every one of us because each and every person is a spokesperson for the gospel in, in the place that you work and the place that you live. But also, when we get together... If you could, the last scripture that we're going to go through this morning, Acts 28, verse 11. Here comes the application. You thought you already got some. Now this is the, at the kind of the, the, the end of this story of the, of the, the immediate movement in the rapid advance of the gospel. But I think there's going to be something that's it's not very profound, but it's something very needed in the life of our church, but then also in your life to invite other people in. This is speaking of the ministry of Paul. Paul is in chains. He's just had a shipwreck, went on shore on, in a place called Malta, and now he's back at sea, 
He's a prisoner, but not a prisoner in the way that we know of. He's been like a big part of the reason why they're dead to this point. So they're kind of favorable to Paul, although they're, they're compelled to, to still uh, keep a guard by him. And this is the end of that story. Verse 11, chapter 28. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Rechim. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Potuli. There we found some brothers who invited us, who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled, they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. He thanked God and he was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Certain things that, that I, I want us to, to look into. We could talk a lot about the Apostle Paul, incredible man of God. He was a, a man of wickedness before his, his day of redemption and all of those things. It's great. It's actually in the book of Acts. So if you read it, you'll see for it yourself. You have to just, if you're not going to read it, you have to take my word for it. It's it's incredible story. First thing I, of application, I want us to look in verse 14. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. They invited us. For you and I this morning, individually and corporately, we have to invite others into our lives and to, into our assembly. We have to invite others into our lives. You will not be able to invite someone to kind of, so they would belong in this place if you don't let them know that they belong in your life. You have to invite them into your life. That means you have to break down some walls in your life that hinder you from speaking truth to your coworkers, to your family, or to your neighbors. You have to lower some of those walls. These brothers, it says they invited us. They had an open invitation. He says, come with us, come stay with us. We have something to offer you. We have this place of belonging. I know you're not going to be here very long. But I have this place of belonging that I want you to, to know that you can, you can be planted in. So when we invite others into our life and into our assembly, it makes them know that they are valued. It makes them know that you want them to belong and that they have a place in your life. This seems so simplistic for you and I. And we would most likely agree, well, I, I, want, I know I want people to feel like they belong in this church, but this church is not a building. It is a movement of people assembled together. Ecclesia, this congregation that is supposed to be impacting the world that we live in. And they have to be invited into your life before they can be invited into this place. They have to. They have to. Second thing we see, says they traveled, that these brothers, they traveled as far as the form of Appius and the three taverns to meet us, to meet us. The second thing this morning is you meet others where they are. 
You meet others where they are. Not where you want them to be. Not where you are. Meet them where they are. That means you have to acknowledge them where they are. Even if you want the best for them, you want them to belong, you want them to become more like Christ, you want them to think beyond themselves, and you want them to eventually, to begin that process and disciple someone else, that is great and wonderful. But the reality is this, we have to meet them where they are first. To acknowledge where they are. Not condemning, if they're in sin, the church, the sent out body, the church, the assembly, the congregation the movement of God in our community. We have to, to meet others where they are. That means we acknowledge them. They're not perfect. They're broken. Of course they're broken. Lost people are broken, aren't they? But if we meet them where they are and we acknowledge their need, then we can invite them into a place of belonging. And I think the best place of belonging is the local church. Because it's in the local church that you can, you can come into this place, you're not going to be condemned. At least you shouldn't be. You're going to be loved on. You're going to be cared for. And you're going to invite people into a movement, not an institution. Because an institution, as we've been so impacted over the years in this, this mistranslation of the word, that even, even people like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale tried to correct those errors several centuries ago, this idea of an institution has still permeated us where we come to church and we come to church and we come to church, but the reality is we're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be the church. So when we invite others into our life, we invite others into our homes, we invite others into our conversations... Not condemning them for being different than us. We, we should acknowledge the differences, but yet we should love them enough to see past our differences. Amen to that? But then also, the second part of, of our application this morning is meet others where they are. Meet others where they are. It's not a matter of where we are. It's not that we have it all together because if we would say publicly we have it all together, we would prove ourselves liars because we don't have it all together. Because if you've walked with, with Christ a day or 20 years, you should have a deeper understanding of humility as to who you are in the eyes of Almighty God. Do you all believe that this morning? We meet others where they are. Yes, of course we want them to be redeemed. Of course we want them to be saved. Of course we want them to, to take steps of spiritual growth. But they won't take those steps unless you invite them in personally. Then the last thing you see, at the sight of these men, at the end of verse 15, at the sight of these men, Paul did what? He thanked God and he was encouraged. At the sight of these men, Paul coming into a foreign place and he says, thank you Lord that I have a place of belonging. 
I'm far from home. But yet any time that there's an assembly gathered together in your name, it should feel like home. I don't care what the sign says. I don't care what the pastor wears. I don't care the songs that you sing. I don't care about the seats that you sit in. This should feel like home if it is a church. By church, I mean ecclesia, this movement, this rapid advance of the gospel that has so impacted us that it's less about an institution, but it's more about an assembly or a congregation of believers who are so bent and so excited about the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul thanked God. And for you and I this morning, we we need to, to praise God for the work He is doing in your life. Praise God for the work that He's doing in your life. See, this is interesting, because now, not only did we... We started and now we're, we're choosing to, to invest in other people. And then, yeah, we meet them where they are, so that happens. And now we're praising God. We're giving God the glory for the work He's doing in our lives individually. And we can share that with unbelievers. We can share that with other believers who are broken. And maybe this, this institutional church has hurt people. And they're looking for a church. And they're looking for a place of belonging. He says, Paul thanked God and he was encouraged and he says, finally some people who are going to look out for me. That I'm in this place. That I've been aboard this ship. I've been part of a shipwreck. I know that he was just an incredible man of God. But he was still human. At no point was Paul superhuman. He was human. And he thanked God. For you and I, we need to praise God for the work He's doing in our lives. And we need to encourage others to take steps of spiritual growth. That is what the rapid advance of the gospel is about. It's not a one-time decision to follow Christ. It's to invite other people into this great story and saying, you know what, the deeper I get into Scripture, the more I realize that I don't have it together. The deeper that I get into Scripture, the more I realize I don't have it together. I'm no better than Peter. So whatever your past is this morning, I want to to just kind of put your mind at ease. Whatever your past is this morning, it does not determine your future. At least it doesn't have to. Maybe if you aspire to something and and you say, you know what, I I want to take a step personally into this movement of God here in, in this place. I want to take a step. I want to be more involved. I want to serve. I want to, I want to love people. I want to, be a, I want to be part of the hospitality team. I want to be a part of the serving team. I want to be a part of DBC Kids. I want to be a part of Arise Student Ministries. I see that there's a movement that's happening in this place and I want to be a part of it. That is great and wonderful and as followers of Jesus, we should encourage other people to take those steps because the church has never meant to be an institution. It's never meant to be rigid. It's never meant to be stale. And it's never meant to be lifeless. It's always been about this rapid advance because celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then um, this, this idea permeated through the day of Pentecost. That the Holy Spirit was just released to the 120 at that point. The 3 to the 12. Back to 11. Back to 12 to 120. Scripture says that then there were 3,000 after after the advance. So then there's 3,000. And then we see that the numbers grew. Those who were being saved because people were so compelled to live out the gospel. My hope is that you, this morning, would be inspired to live out the gospel too. And part of the gospel, if 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 you embrace the gospel, you realize that it isn't just about personal salvation, personal conviction, personal confession. It's about fellowship of the believers, about getting people 
in our life, pouring into us, pointing out people who maybe don't feel like they belong and saying, you know what? You're part of us. Maybe it's the person that you work with. Maybe the person you avoid. Maybe it's the person who causes the most trouble. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your spouse that you need to encourage and say, you know what? I I want you to know that God wants to do an amazing work in you. I know you may not understand all that right now, but I want to invite you into my life. I, I, I know where you are. I want to invite you into my life. And I want to invite you into this, into this movement called Dublin Bible Church. That it's not a matter of a building. It's a matter of movement. It's about people's lives changed. It's about a, a culture changed. It's about a community changed. It's about leadership being changed. It's not about self-preservation. It's not about self-preservation. You see, institutions, they're concerned about, well, let's keep everything the exact same way. And now everything's rigid. Keep everything the exact same way. And when I look at the scriptures, that's never, never what Jesus talked about. It was about a movement of the gospel. And one of the blessings that we we get as Christians is being able to live that out. I know there's people in, in this area... I talk to people in this, in this area and they, they, they claim to be a part of a church and maybe they're, they're, you know, Christmas and Easter church people, right? We, we know these people, they're all around us. And they say, oh no, I go to this church, that's, that's my grandma's church, that's my, that was my daddy's church, that was my mama's church, or all these things. I'll be, just to be honest with you, most of those people are flat out lying and I run across them all the time. I run across them all the time. But if you could speak into their life and allow them and help them to take some of their guard down, they would realize that the church isn't about an institution. It's not about grandma and grandpa. It's not about parents. It's not even about us. It's about this message that Jesus wants to radically reshape humanity by saving one person at a time. And he wants to start with you. And he wants to start with me. And I firmly believe this morning, I firmly believe that the people who are gathered here, look around, look around. You were talking to them a minute ago. You can look at them. I know some of them are ugly, but it's all right. We look around, and if you look at each other, these are the very people who God wants to use to make a rapid advance of the gospel right here in Dublin. Let's pray. Father, you, you're almighty God. You're so worthy of our praise. Lord, I, I feel like so many times I am the least of these. And Lord Jesus, just as, as I pray, personally, I pray and ask that you would just help us as an assembly, a congregation, to do this. To just empty our hearts. Just empty our hearts. So many things weigh down our hearts. Hurt. We feel like we're damaged goods. We don't look like we, we want to. We don't have as much money as we think we should have. We've made so many mistakes in parenting and in life. 
But Lord, my, my prayer is that you would allow us to empty our hearts of all of that because that is all unrighteousness. And yet you would just fill us with the warmth of your spirit and the warmth of your grace and your mercy because it's in you that we, we truly find strength to fulfill all of our weaknesses. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for loving us enough to put the gospel in our care and keeping for our community. And we just exalt the name that is above every other name. That's Jesus Christ. Amen.